today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. It's a strange kind of set of descriptors that Peter gives to us as the church, as the body of Christ. And he is speaking primarily to a Gentile congregations as he is writing to those that are spread all throughout those multiple of regions that we read about back in chapter 1, verse 1. And yet he's using words and he's using phrases that the Old Testament actually refers to Israel about. When he declares that we're a chosen generation. He's using the very same words that the Lord gave Isaiah, the prophet, to describe to Israel as they came out of Babylonian captivity. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle writes that we, the church, are a chosen people. Christians are a royal priesthood chosen to be in God's family before the foundation of the world. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that because the Gentile church has been grafted into the family of God, we enjoy great spiritual blessings. However, with those blessings comes great responsibility. The church is called to share the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world and to glorify God through its love and good works. And here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Living in a Foreign Land, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. Have you ever noticed how offensive Jesus is to the world? You know, you and I, and we just sang about your name, strong and mighty tower, your name. But you and I could go over to the uh, mall this afternoon. We could hang out at the mall outside any of the stores. We could go into a coffee shop. And, and we could talk about God with somebody very, very easily and very openly and not be a problem at all. But as soon as you start saying the J word out loud, people get a little offended about that. And it's all, it's interesting how not only out in the public, but we've already seen it in the military and any, many of the uh, government institutions that we have. It's interesting that in the military and in the government, you can actually pray during those meetings. In fact, many of their, many of the ceremonies that they have, they will call and ask for a prayer. But it's very interesting how in most of those cases, that prayer is okay as long as it's fairly vague. And as long as you don't necessarily direct it to a particular individual, particularly if you direct it to the J name, okay? In an article, a fellow by the name of Todd Starnes, Fox News and Commentary website dated January 17th, 2012, so about a year and a half ago. Mr. Starnes writes that the Supreme Court of the state of North Carolina let stand a federal appeals court ruling that held that the predominantly Christian prayers at the start of commission meetings violated the First Amendment's alleged ban on government endorsement of a particular 
religion. The court found that more than three quarters of the 33 invocations that were given before meetings from May 2007 until December 2008, so pretty much a year and a half there, of those 33 invocations, three quarters of those referred to Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ, or Savior. And according to the court, that's a problem. You see, it wasn't the prayers that were so offensive. It was who those prayers were directed to. According to another article dated September 25th, 2012, out of Richmond, Virginia, the governor, Tim Kaine, is defending why his administration forced the sudden resignation of five Virginia state police chaplains because they prayed publicly in Jesus' name. The police superintendent, Colonel W. Stephen Flaherty, single-handedly created and then enforced a strict non-sectarian prayer policy at all public gatherings, censoring and excluding Christian prayers. And then he accepted the resignation of five chaplains who refused to deny Jesus or violate their conscience by watering down their prayers. Yet another article, this one ran in the Washington Times. 73 members of Congress have joined together in an October 25th letter to the President of the United States, which said in part, in all branches of the military, it is becoming increasingly difficult for Christian chaplains to use the name of Jesus when praying. In the same article, they mention a statement that's put out by the Reverend William Baum, who in uh, who's the executive director of the Greenville, South Carolina-based International Conference of Evangelical Chaplain Endorsers. In his statement, he declares, No Islamic chaplain has been refused the ability to be able to pray in the name of Allah, as far as we know. Neither has a rabbi been rebuked for making references to Hanukkah. And no Catholic priest has been rebuked for referring to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mr. Baum states that 350 chaplains that he oversees are concerned about a new set of guidelines issued in August after complaints about Christian evangelism at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs have come about. The Air Force guidelines, they actually allow for a brief non-sectarian prayer during military ceremonies to add a heightened sense of seriousness or solemnity but not to advance a specific religious belief. In the same article, we read how the Navy is facing lawsuits by 50 Christian chaplains saying that the Navy discriminates against evangelical and Pentecostal clerics. By the way, this last article that I read from the Washington Post, including all of these things, that was actually written back in 2005 when George W. was the president. The Navy lawsuits, they were initially filed back in 1999 and in 2000 during the Clinton administration. So you see, the, the attack is pretty much bipartisan. You can't say, oh, if we were in power, if they were in power. No, it's, it's across the board.
It's the same idea that we looked at last week when we looked at First Peter, and I want to invite you to turn there if you would. First Peter chapter 2. Peter writing to a scattered amount of believers that were under persecution. He writes in verse 7, he says, Therefore, to you who believe, he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. We spoke about that at length last week as we covered that section of verses, but I wanted to draw in that portion this week as we continue on in verse 9. And In these next several verses, Peter is going to remind us again that we should be different from the rest of the world. You and I as believers, we need to be different than the rest of the world because this world is not our home. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We're strangers that live in a foreign land. And we shouldn't be surprised when the world turns harder and harder against the things of Christ. Here in these passages, Peter compares those who don't believe in these earlier passages that we looked at last week, those disobedient ones, those that stumble over that precious cornerstone, those who do not believe. Peter here now is going to compare them with those who do believe, who are in obedience, those who have come to faith to that precious stone, Jesus Christ. So in verse 9, Peter speaking to the believers. He says, but you, as a believer, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you, as believers, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, as believers, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who you, as believers, had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It's a strange kind of set of descriptors that Peter gives to us as the church, as the body of Christ. And he is speaking primarily to a Gentile congregations as he's writing to those that are spread all throughout those multiple of regions that we read about back in chapter 1, verse 1. And yet he's using words and he's using phrases that the Old Testament actually refers to Israel about. When he declares that we're a chosen generation, He's using the very same words that the Lord gave Isaiah, the prophet, to describe to Israel as they came out of Babylonian captivity. They were a chosen generation. A chosen generation speaks, once again, of that work of election that God does in our life. It's the work that Peter spoke about back in chapter 1, verse 2, when he spoke about that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And regardless of your stand with this whole idea of election and predestination, you have to come to grip with the fact that God chose you long before you chose God. I don't care where you're at in, in the election predestination. You need to understand, long before you turned your heart to God, you were his enemy and you were running away from him. And then he drew you to himself. Therefore, you and I, we are part of that chosen generation. And because of that, we ought to be thankful. We ought to be 
understand how, how blessed we are in, in all of that. That just ought to really blow our minds when we really pause and consider. You know what? God chose me. And he knows more about me than I know about myself. And yet still he chose me. Added to that, Peter revisits this idea of being a royal priesthood. And again, back in verse 5, we spoke about it and we talked about that holy priesthood. We talked about those spiritual sacrifices just last week, giving our lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. And again, that idea of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that's the same call that God the Father made to the children of Israel through Moses. And we read about this, and you don't need to turn there, but you can mark it and look at it later. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 3, the Lord speaking through Moses to the children of Israel, he says, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So now as Peter takes these descriptions of Israel, and he now relates them to the church, isn't it pretty evident that now the church replaces Israel totally. Shake your head like this, because that ain't true, okay? The church doesn't replace Israel. Remember, even the Apostle Paul says, no, we are simply grafted in. We're, we're, we're brought in alongside the blessings and the callings that God gave to Israel. Now we get to be partakers of that same blessing and of that same calling. We are now grafted into that greater work that God is doing. God's still working through the children of Israel, taking to himself a chosen people, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And we now have the great pleasure of joining in on that kingdom's work. But, The blessings and our position grows even deeper according to what Peter is writing. Still in verse 9, Peter adds this fact that we too are his own special people. The same thing that the Lord told the children of Israel, that they were his special people. Now we as the church, we are his special people. And beloved, I have to admit, I, I really like what the King James Version says on this. Some of you have King James Version, and you know that as you read that while following me, it says that we are a peculiar people. Amen? I think that's probably the most accurate description of the church, okay? We are a peculiar people. And yet God loves us anyway, doesn't he? With all that we are, with all that we see, as peculiar as we are, the Lord still loves us. But when we look at that word, we need to really be fair here. When the King James was translated, that word meant a little bit different than it does today. And really in the Greek, that that word actually has a, a, a different kind of direction to it. You can see it not only in the King James, or the New King James Version, but also in other translations. The New American Standard Bible translates it this way, that we are a people of God's own possession. 
the English Standard Version and the Holman Christian Standard Bible translate it this way, that we are a people of his possession, that we are God's in a special way, when he says that we are, uh, when we read that we are a special people, that peculiar people, it understands that God is now taking us to himself in a special way, different than those that are outside the kingdom of God, different than those that are outside of faith. Now we are a special possession to God. And you see, with all of our quirks, with all of our peculiarities, God calls us and he makes us to himself that special people for a very special purpose, a very special purpose and reason that you and I have been called into the kingdom. What does Peter say here in the second part of verse 9? He says, we are called, well, let me back up. He says, first of all, you're a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You as a believer, you're part of a holy nation. You're his own special people, and this is why he's done all that in order that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, he's saved us in order that we might be proclaimers of who he is, in order that we might be witnesses of, again, the greatness of who our God is. One version says that we are called as the instruments of God to be able to proclaim his message. God called us out of the darkness of sin and death, and he's brought us into the light for that very purpose. This whole idea of being in sin and death, the reality of uh, the greatness of our lostness, outside of Christ that we were lost in sin, that we were in the absolute darkness, and we read this over and over throughout the word. Jesus makes it very clear in the Gospel of John chapter 3. That story is Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, that religious ruler, and Jesus speaks to him about the world and how the world outside of faith in the Son of God, he says that it's condemned already because they've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You see, the name of Jesus is that light that comes out. And that's why people reject that so strongly. When you speak of God, we can speak of God in however you perceive him to be. And suddenly he can be anything or everything. He can be actively involved in life or set far apart from life. Oh, yes, I believe in God, but I don't believe that he's actively involved in my life. I don't believe that I'm going to stand. I believe that God loves everybody and everybody's going to be saved. But when you speak of Jesus... The reality is is that Jesus died for the sin of all mankind, that whoever believes on the name of Jesus will be saved. You see, that's that's the impact. That's the conflicting part of Jesus himself. And when we come to Jesus and we become that chosen generation, when we become that royal priesthood, when we become that holy nation, when we become his special possession, The reality that we were called out of darkness into light. 
The reason is, is in order that we might be able to proclaim the reality of his mercies to a lost and a dying world. You see, there's many times when we proclaim that message, the world doesn't want to hear it because it's convicting. It means that I've got to change who I am and what I do. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, God is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, which with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he's raised us up together. And he's made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's what Peter is speaking about here. Out of the darkness and into that marvelous light. He says in verse 10, we who were once not a people are now the people of God. He speaks of we who are not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And again, what a great blessing that is and what a great privilege that is. But beloved, you know, with any great blessing, with any great privilege comes a great responsibility. But the fact is, if we are blessed, we've been given great privilege. With privilege comes responsibility. You're not going to promote someone within your business, give them great privileges and give them blessings without them also realizing that with that comes a greater responsibility for you and I as we've come into the kingdom. We have that responsibility. So how is it that we move around today in this dark world and how is it that we can faithfully and consistently and confidently proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light how do we do that how do we live our life among those that are still in a lost condition those that many times will reject the very words that we say as well as rejecting the truth of our lives how do we live our lives for God while still living amongst the people who are in darkness. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if we just built a big compound? Like, like we could build this huge, huge, big wall. We could all kind of move in all together so that everybody's of the same mind, everybody's of the same spirit, and there wouldn't be that conflict, there wouldn't be that persecution. There wouldn't be those kinds of things. We just all come together. So I'm asking you this morning, if you join with me in building this great compound for God. <laughs> no, you know, if you know me, some of your visitors are like really worried right now, aren't you? <laughs> That's not what God has called us to do. God hasn't called us to, to become reclusive hermits or, or to become cloistered monks. Or monkettes, as the case may be. He's not called us to that. He's called us to be people actively involved in the world that's around us. We need to be infecting and impacting the world that we're in. And I know it's easier to withdraw. But that's not what we're called to do. We are called to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So, again to the question. How do we faithfully do that? How do we live here and still proclaim his message and his praises? I believe that Peter tells us the only way that we can actually do that.
Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter, reminding us through this letter that persecution comes to every follower of Jesus. The encouragement to keep strong in faith in those times of trial is also a challenge, though. Instead of complaining, turn to Jesus. Instead of shrinking from the hard questions, embrace them with truth. Walking in faith and with hope isn't an easy task, but Jesus has promised to walk with us and give us the words we need to speak. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word, and we hope you're leaving us today feeling stronger in your faith. Before we close our time with you today, though, Pastor David would like to ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. You know I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift, large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for being a part of our time here today. Pastor David will return soon to continue studying 1 Peter right here on The Open Word.